This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 296 <laughs> of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Hug your Wookie. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Kentucky Performance Products and you, our listeners. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop I am Glenda Geek And I'm Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Well, we're not going to waste too much time here at the beginning, Helena, because we have a bunch of terrific guests lined up today. We're going to hear from Kat from Eat Your Tart Out, who has an Easter recipe for us, because yes, two days from now is Easter. Then, uh, and happy Easter, everybody. Coming up uh, after that, we have Kim Baker of uh, Kim Baker Natural Horsemanship and also the Kim Baker Radio Show. She's a lot of fun and is going to be chatting with us about all kinds of horsey things. And then uh, you have the Tack and Havoc product for this week, don't you? Yes, I do. We're going to talk to Lou Denizard. Uh, he's the inventor of the horse hugger. The horse hugger. I thought that was what you did. You're a horse hugger. I'm an everything hugger. I That's like to true. hug. Yeah, you're a huggy person. That's good. I I'm like huggy, per- huggy people, too. <laughs> I'm a huggy person. Before we do all that, let me remind you that next week we will be, uh, uh, the Horse Radio Network and Horses in the Morning show will be at Rolex, a three-day event in at the Kentucky Horse Park in Kentucky from the 24th. Fourth, yeah, twenty fourth uh, through the twenty eighth. My birthday, the twenty fourth, and uh, we'll be there, and we'll be doing the live show. We'll be doing horses in the morning, Friday morning at nine a.m. Eastern, and Sunday morning, a special Sunday episode at nine a.m. Eastern. Jamie's coming in with the baby, so Jamie will be there with baby Luke, and Jennifer and I will be there, and also Reese from the uh, Dressage Radio Show is going to be there, and Samantha Clark, all the way from England of the Eventing Radio Show, will be there. So we have five hosts. From the Horse Radio Network, going to be there. We're having a listener meetup at half an hour before cross country at jump number one. You can meet us out there. We can chat, have a good time, maybe walk a couple jumps together. And Woo-hoo. We all can be on our way for enjoying cross country day at Rolex. So we hope that you come out. If you're going to be at Rolex, stop by. We're going to be recording in the uh, upper concourse of the indoor arena that has all the stores and, and shopping. The old indoor arena, we are in the upper concourse. You'll see us there with our microphones and everything doing our thing. So please stop on out. And if you get a chance, take a listen to our coverage. Many guests and a lot of fun coming to you from Rolex next week. Also, a big thank you to everybody who is becoming a patron, a auditor here for the Horse Radio Network. And we've had uh, a lot of new ones here over the last two weeks. We appreciate your support. If you would like to help support all of us and the hosts here at the Horse Radio Network, then hop on over to stablescoop.com. Click on the big banner in the middle of the page. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. So if you like the programming, if you like what you hear, you can help uh, support the network and help us grow and, and start doing some new things as well. Uh, and, and you know what I've, I've found very heartwarming is that the average 
uh, contribution is ten dollars a month, not one. So, mm. I, I, but if you're, you know, we if you can give one, give one. Uh, we don't care if you can't give anything. That's fine too. Just tell people about the show on your Facebook page. Hop on there once a week and post our show, and uh, tell all your friends at the barn and uh, about Stable Scoop or any of the other shows in the Horse Radio Network. We appreciate that. Anything else, Alina? Or do you want to go right to Cat and talk about food? I want to go right to Cat and talk about food because I'm hungry. Cat from the Eat Your Tart Out blog. Well, hi, Cat. Welcome back to the show. Well, hi there. Thanks for having me. I am at eatyourtartout.com, and I am looking at the recipe that you are bringing to us today. By the way, just wanted to mention that I think we got more comments uh, about the segment you did last time that you were with us than any other segment we've ever done with you. So um, <laughs> It's official. Cat's good for ratings. Yes, you are good for ratings, especially when you talk about eating in the nude. Uh, I got comments from people that said they were driving off the road laughing so hard. So... <laughs> And I also got comments that it was way too much information about me in that particular segment. (laughs) (laughs) And that was only the part that you actually aired. That's the only part I talked about. Yeah, exactly. And the stuff we had to cut. (laughs) And by the way, that was an episode 293 (laughs) called Flexible Nuts. If you you missed that episode, go back and take a listen and you'll know what we're talking about. All right, but today we're in Easter mode. See, we have to, we have to, we have to make amends for that last episode. So we're in Easter mode today, and you have a recipe for us. I sure do. I and I apologize to anybody who had so much fun last time that we're not living up to expectations. <laughs> but hopefully, I can make up for it with a really good recipe that you can make at home, and that's super delicious. Okay, good. <laughs> and the recipe I picked is malted oatmeal cookies. And if you're like me, I typically don't go shopping for Easter candy. I don't have kids and I don't really have any like cousins or any little people to shop for for the little Easter baskets. And what I wait for is for when they come Monday when everything gets discounted. And I love buying up candy for that purpose. So you can find so many different ways to incorporate leftover Easter candy, Halloween candy, whatever it may be. And this recipe just kind of formulated from that. I love Robin's eggs, which are the malted milk balls with a kind of an M&M type shell. And I ground them up and put them in cookies and add a little, added a little extra malted milk powder to it. And they're amazing. They're really good. <laughs> now, so basically you're just, you chop them up first, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. You take them in your food processor. and well, That'd be one big cookie because those are pretty big. Yes, yeah. they are. Yeah, that would be insane. That would be you really... have a problem with big cookies? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Discriminating already. <laughs> um, but you pulverize the robin's eggs in the food processor, and it just makes a lot of noise because the candy shells are pretty hard, um, and they are get all powdery, and they make a big mess, but I promise you it is well worth the big mess and all the racket, and they're just really good. You take a chocolate chip based recipe so glenn like somebody like you who can't usually eat cookies just because of your gluten intolerance and probably sugar if you had a good cookie recipe that you could use using your gluten-free flours and stuff like that if you just omit the chocolate chips or you just use a sugar base a sugar cookie base you could just do the same thing Except for now I'm realizing that you need sugar or there's yeah, sugar. it doesn't sound as good as so. this one, though. I oh, mean. right. 
I was trying to make it so you could still enjoy it, but I don't think there's going to be a way. Oh, he'll just sneak it. He'll just sneak it. Do do they come out colorful? They do. They've got like a little pastel like pieces that still show up. Um, If you look at my blog at eatyourtartout.com and you search malted oatmeal cookies, it'll come up and you see like almost like little flecks of uh, pink and white and yellow and blue. And they're just really pretty. Yeah. Well, cat makes pretty food. But see, you eat with your eyes first. And this is something that a lot of people forget when they they cook, especially fancy, fancy like bakers and stuff like that. Well, and... This too. I mean, I, it's, even though it's after Easter, it's not that tip, it's reminds me more of spring. So you could really like just grab a bag at your discount, you know, once Monday comes along, just grab them, save them and put them aside. And then when you're ready to celebrate spring for maybe you've got a bake sale coming up or something like that, then you can make this recipe and nobody will be any wiser. No, this is really Mm -hmm. cool. I think it's great. I think it, uh, it looks good. Well, thank you. It's really good. And the oatmeal, um, or the oats, I guess, you add in them. Just add that nice nutty flavor so it balances out the malted side of things really well. Oh, God, I'm hungry. (laughs) Well, you guys, I don't know, my brother and I, we could sit down with one of those big box of malted milk balls, and watching TV after we got home from school, we could demolish almost a whole big box of one of those. when we. They go down so easy. Whoppers, remember Whoppers? Oh, yes, that's what I mean. Oh. Yes. They would like, and, and once they were you got past the cardboard like, box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, or yes, the yes. big carton, like the big milk yes, carton yes, type yes, of thing. Yes. And, and you would shake it up and yep. you'd pour out like 12 in your hand. And yep. you're like, I can eat all those right now. <laughs> I can do it. And, and, and then some of them had more chocolate on the outside than others. <sighs> those are kind of cool. Oh, and then they would like, you'd get through that chocolate coating and then they would melt. Yes. Thanks, guys. Cat, they can find this at Eat Your Tart Out, tart with an E at the end, dot com, right? Correct. And you got to do something fun I saw on your Facebook page. We have to talk about for a couple minutes because my wife, Jennifer, would love to do this sometime. You got to go to a Comic Con. I sure did. And this was very spur of the moment kind of craziness. And I just, you know, I moved here. I didn't have a whole lot of friends here other than my husband's, you know, acquaintances and things like that. So I'm like, well, let's volunteer. Let's find all these different opportunities. And I kept saying, I want to go to a Comic-Con at some point. And it just happened that one was coming up. And I'm like, I'm going to volunteer. We're just going to see what it's about. And, you know, without needing extra, you know, money, because it's pretty expensive to get in. And then there's photo ops and all sorts of other things that you have to pay for. This just worked out amazing. So I got to see... So many costumes, comic books, uh, movies, books, authors, like all that kind of stuff. And then I just, yeah, got to see the behind the scenes on how they put the whole convention together. And it was amazing. Unbelievable. Now, is it like the one in Orlando here now is almost as big as the one out west. There was 120,000 people that came to Comic-Con in Orlando this year. Um, and, and, you know, 110,955 of them are dressed as a Wookiee or something. So um, they're all dressed up. What did you dress up as? Well, I didn't dress up just because <sighs> I was volunteering. But you got you to gotta hear my story, though. Okay. So I got, you know, the first day is usually just set up and there was nothing really going on. And then once the convention started, I got paired up with Adam Baldwin, who you guys might know as like Full Metal Jacket, and maybe if you've watched more sci-fi stuff like Firefly and Chuck and that. 
And so I was working his booth the whole weekend, and he enjoyed my company and my crowd management skills. And so I worked with him all weekend, which was pretty amazing. You were. I want to know about your crowd management skills. What's a little, tell me about that. <laughs> um, smiling, nodding, not letting people go through, can't bum rush the managers and the actors and things like that. And, you know, for me, I just use it as an opportunity since I didn't get to go on the convention floor very often. I used it as a time to talk with everybody, see what people were getting signed, hear their stories, take pictures of people in line when they were dressed up in costume. Yeah. And you had a really good time. Like you, you had some really amazing revelations. You wrote a lovely post on Facebook about it. What was the most striking thing about the, um, about the experience for well, you? I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, and I was talking to a comic book author about this and he was just surprised because he's seen in recent history that female nerds or female geeks aren't really something that you see too much and it's not really acceptable but it is coming becoming more and more acceptable and so that was kind of one of the reasons why I shunned if you will going to something like this especially by myself because you, you just don't know what you're going to expect you know and especially if you are a pretty decent looking female you don't want to get mauled or anything like that you just get these <laughs> weird stereotypes and it's not trying to be mean but it's like you don't see too many females out and about in nerdy circles and you know that just been how it is and so I was able to squash so many stereotypes this weekend and it was just amazing like talking in line with everybody if you put a smile on your face and you just say hi to somebody they open up in conversation and it's the well, most you're the first girl they talked to in a week well okay <laughs> but I mean I was just surprised like I was expecting more you know socially awkward people who maybe didn't get out and again it was my own fault for going in with a stereotype but that's what you assume is a lot of times until you can break break down the walls and find out what's really there and I just I had such an amazing time talking to everybody and learning a ton about you know I thought I love sci-fi and I knew so much about it and I'm like I know nothing but nobody belittled me for it. They embraced it. And, you know, I was working a booth where the only uh, movie I had seen Adam Baldwin in was Full Metal Jacket. I had never seen him in the sci-fi stuff. And here I am working his booth. Like everybody expected me to be this know-it-all. And I'm like, I have no idea who this guy is. And I learned a ton. And it was just amazing. I think he was in Independence Day, too, speaking of sci-fi movies. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. in a bunch. Of, he was in a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. All right, well, and, now give us some celebrity uh, gossip here. Was he Was he nice? Oh, he was so nice. Yeah. Oh, I, he's cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and he's 52. That's a good age. He doesn't look 52, does he? No. No. Um, yeah, it's what they kind of teach you, though, is if you're going to be working like the autograph booths or the photo op booths, you're not to talk to the celebrities. Like, that's a big no-no. You don't want to geek out or things like that because they want them to come back and have a good experience. And so I ended up just hitting it off with his manager, or as they call them, their handler, that kind of protects them from the fans and makes sure that, you know, they're getting everything they need. And so we hit it off, and then before long, I mean, at the end of the show, he made sure I got a big hug and got a picture with him and all that kind of stuff. And it was just really cool. Like, we ended up having conversations, but I think it was because I didn't nerd out and, you know, go crazy. So <laughs> I didn't nerd out. It's easy not to nerd out when you don't know the what the haven't seen any of the movies, you know, you know what I right. mean? Right. And it's I easier that way. But <laughs> even like some of the other actors that were around my area, like Alan Tudyk, um, who's been in like, just a lot of stuff. I remember him from Dodgeball as um, Steve the Pirate. 
you know, and he was right next to me and he was really super nice too, but I didn't like geek out over that. So maybe it's just, I have a hard time getting really enthusiastic about things. I don't know. Except well, for I would have you weren't like starstruck or anything like that. No, not at all. Which was kind of nice because I could talk to them as a person and not like faint in front of them when I saw them. Which I, I would think- have a tough time doing Carrie Underwood's booth. I'm just saying. I would have a tough time with that. <laughs> I would have a tough time with no one's booth. Except <laughs> Gina Miles. <laughs> she gets me every time. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Kat. I'm glad you had such a wonderful time. Now, next year, are you going as a Wookiee? I am going, so one of the shows that Adam Baldwin did that was the big thing, like why a lot of people came to see him was for the show Firefly that he had done, and it was on like one season, and I guess one of the girls, uh, Jewel Stady, they said everybody was like, they came to the booth and like, oh my gosh, are you Jewel? I was like, who is Jewel? I have no idea who this chick is. And so apparently I look really like her, and so I think that's what I'm going to do is next year is dress up like her and see how many people I can fool. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kat. You always have adventures for us. You're awesome. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys so much for letting me share. Right after this word from Kentucky Performance Products, who we will see at Rolex next week because they're always there. Not too far from there is where their headquarters are, actually. Uh, We are going to speak with Kim Baker, who does a radio show called The Kim Baker Radio Show. Get this for a resume. She's a natural horse trainer and clinician. She's an author. so She's a certified Reiki master. She's a certified equine craniosologist, one of those, an animal <laughs> communicator. She has a master's. She, she has a bachelor of science degree. She is on the board of directors of Jefferson County Horse Council and Holistic Horse Care Cooperative, and she's a horseback riding instructor. And in her free time, she's coming on to talk to us. What's she? I was going to say, what's she doing slumming with the likes of us? I, I don't know why she's here either. We'll find She's out. getting it real. You know, she's got to get it. You got to go down every once it's in like, a while. It's we're like the equivalent of working in a soup kitchen for some people. <laughs> Choosing a supplement can be confusing. How do you know which ones are right for your horse? Kentucky Performance Products will simplify your search for effective research-proven supplements that meet the challenges of today's horses. And this week's highlight product is Contribute Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplement. The properties of omega-3 fatty acids benefit every system in your horse's body. Contribute improves breeding efficiency in mares and stallions. Maintains soundness and protects joints from damaging inflammation. Sustains a strong immune response in horses of all ages and decreases the levels of inflammation in your horse's body by sustaining adequate omega-3 fatty acid levels. Learn more about Contribute omega-3 fatty acid supplement and all the other products at kppusa.com that's kentucky performance products at kppusa.com well hi kim welcome to the stable scoop show thanks for having me glenn and helena it's always fun to have other radio hosts on because they (laughs) talk a lot and we don't have to work very hard <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? When you yes. have a guest that just talks and it makes your job easy. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> you, do, you do the Kim. We're going to talk a little radio here before we get started. Anything else? You do the Kim Baker radio show and tell us about that. So that's about the amazing connection between horses, animals, and humans. And basically, it's just tapping into the spiritual connection that we have with horses. And then I often branch out to other animals because, as you know, most horse people are dog people or have barn cats or, 
you know, other things, and they're animal lovers in general. So there's a lot that we can learn about animals, and I highlight uh, nonprofit organizations. And last week I had my guest was, they do disabled pets. So they, you know, if you've got a three-legged dog, then they come up with the devices that uh, enable the dog to be a quadruped again. Hmm. That's cool. And is this uh, all Internet, or how do you, how do, you do it? Yes, it's Internet Radio. It airs live every Tuesday at 1 o'clock Mountain Time on VelocityRadio.fm. And people can, you know, if that doesn't work, if they're at work or they just are too busy to listen at that time, then we podcast the show and they can go to my website, which is KB, and then my initials, Kim Baker, naturalhorsemanship.com, and click on the Kim Baker radio button on the left-hand side, and that'll tell you how to listen and how to listen to past shows. So what have you learned, as I said, we'll continue with radio talk here a little bit. What have you learned doing the radio show? Helene and I talk about that sometimes. You know, we we think we have the best job in the world because we get to talk to the coolest people and, and, uh, you know, occasionally maybe get paid for it. So what... (laughs) What do you occasionally, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe. But we learn a whole heck of a lot. Right, exactly. <laughs> Can't put a price feel, on knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. I and so I will, you know, people come to me and want to be on the show or I will find people and, you know, pick guests, but that's it. Like the entire interview, I am learning so much and so I absolutely love my job because I love learning and then sharing it with others. As as a child, that's what I would do. Instead of doing my homework, I would watch all the nature shows that I could get my hands on. So for those of you who remember like Marty Stauffer's um, Wild America and, oh, and then my Animal favorite. Kingdom or Wild Kingdom. Wild Kingdom? Was it Wild, Wild Kingdom? America? Wild America. Okay. Wild America. Yeah. It was it was a great show, wasn't it? And so then like when my parents would come home I would tell them or if my mom had she used to have these big work parties and so I'd go around and tell everybody, Did you know that this particular animal did such and such? You know, <laughs> here's this little kid and they look at me a little funny, but I absolutely loved it. So I really enjoy doing that on the show. You know, it's we're all learning together and sharing that information. And here she she's a little more educated than us, though. She has a master's in integrated sciences, and here you are doing a, a radio show. Um, but she's talking about integrated sciences. sciences. <laughs> yes, I was going to ask you what exactly <laughs> is integrated sciences. Does that mean anything that's science related? <laughs> so it was split between computer science applied science and mathematics. And and basically my courses involved were, I, I got some, I was working at for Sun Microsystems at the time. So I used to be, you know, corporate IT and they really weren't going to pay for an animal degree. You know, it's, they're just not going to pay for that. And, the, and I was lucky they, they pay for my master's. So I did it more in computer science and did uh, how to build online educational websites um, technical writing. I did get um, an environmental class in there uh, where we learned about basically the effects of damming and specifically the Colorado River, which is a very important river. And what happened by creating all the dams and, you know, farming out water to Phoenix and to California and how there's just a trickle that comes out in Baja, Mexico now, where it used to have this particular flow based on the seasons and the snow melt and stuff like that and all the animals and environment that uh, grew according to that and flourished whenever the floods would come down and how that's been altered. So that, that was a fun class for me. And I didn't really touch 
too much on the mathematics. Um, I think I learned Java and some other programming skills. So, you know, I tried to keep it, you know, to the computer stuff. But for my master's degree, my project to finish my degree, the online education site that I built was about wild horses. So mm. that's another passion of mine, informing people, you know, what's going on with horses in the wild with the BLM. I didn't get too in-depth with that because it was a pretty hot topic and very controversial, but I just touched on the basis, what they're about, and then basic responsibility and care for horse ownership. So if you wanted to go adopt an animal, what's involved with that? Now, you guys, I assume, started when you were a kid with horses. Yes, I did. I've, I've loved animals and, and horses since probably the beginning of time. And my favorite <laughs> uh, horse movie is The Black Stallion. And it, I every, and I have it on DVD, and I love to watch it over and over, and I cry every time. And what really <laughs> touched me is I think what touched most everybody. And Francis Ford Coppola is amazing and how he created the beach scenes, right? And it's it's the bond between the boy and the horse and how, you know, the horse is wild and the boy befriends him and then they're riding on the beach together. And just seeing that, I'm like, I want that relationship in my life. And of course, I mean, he's a beautiful black horse. And so I would visualize when... We were going on road trips, but here I am riding my horse, you know, in the hillsides. And when I was 24, I got my first horse. And I had him for a very short seven months. He was a grade Arabian chestnut. And he basically had a heart attack uh, in response to some local anesthetic, which is, it was, and I, he died in front of me. It was very horrific, terrible, like two weeks before Christmas. And I, was crying my eyes out, but I knew I wasn't done with horses. And so a couple of months later, I got my own little black stallion. He was actually, he's actually a gilding. <laughs> he's not really a stallion. Um, and his <laughs> name is Knight. And he is, he's, he's all black. He's got a, a white star on his forehead and one white hind leg, which is on the left. And when he runs, he looks like the black stallion. And we have an amazing relationship. I can go anywhere and do anything with this horse. I've ridden him alone in the mountains here in Colorado. And I attribute that to the groundwork program that we went through and did to build our relationship. So, you know, it was gaining his trust, earning his respect, and, you know, establishing myself as his leader. And like I said, he's also a lesson horse, and he's taught um, as young as four years old for children to ride, so wow. he's just, he's an amazing horse, and, and I got, I got that dream when I was a little girl and saw that movie, I, that's what I have with my horse now. So you take this, <clears throat> there's this, this passion that you were born with that developed as a little girl and never went away, and it just evolved into something really, um, very concrete now that you're a clinician and a Reiki master. Um, what of your tools in your little toolkit, or maybe your big toolkit, what tools do you find the most need for, um, in today's horses and today's ho- with today's horse owners? Is it communication? Is it Reiki? Is it training? I mean, I know it's a combination of all of those, but what do you find coming up over and over again that that's really powerful and effective? The biggest thing that I see that people want is that really deep connection with their horse. And they've tried different things, and sometimes they get it here and there. They've been able to taste it, but it's not consistent. And what that really boils down to is the communication with the horse and and what 
what, how you're interacting. Are you able to read the body language? Are you establishing yourself as the leader? And ultimately, how consistent are you? So are you doing it sometimes and then not others? You know, are you hand-feeding and certain times and not others, and so that's confusing to the horse. If you look at horses in general and look at their society, both domestic and, and in the wild, they're extremely clear with each other. There's no gray areas. So it's yes or no. There's no maybes. Whereas we humans have, you know, kind of, sort of, maybe, perhaps, <laughs> anything in between the yes and the no, whereas the horses have yes or no. And so if we can be really clear and then really consistent, so if we say, you know what, no, I'm not going to hand feed you, then that means I'm not going to hand feed you, period. That doesn't mean I'm not going to hand feed you this moment and then 10 minutes later when you keep bugging me, I am going to hand feed you. I learned that, that with my uh, my little hackney pony I rescued. He was, uh-huh. a, he was a starvation case. And, uh, boy, I learned real quick that, you know, uh, treat training this pony wasn't going to be an option just he, because he was so obsessed by it. He just wouldn't listen. I mean, if he had a treat anywhere near his mouth, that's all he obsessed over the next hour. Right. Uh, and he's still that way. You know, he's fat and happy now, but he's still that way. So I don't do that at all when I'm training him anymore. Um, you know, and, and we came up from the clicker training school. So, Great. you know, you know it, it, but I cannot do any of that with him. I just can't. And, you know, I've, I've run into that as well. Uh, knowing what the horse's motivation is is important. If food is a big motivator, you can certainly use that to your advantage, but it can also get you into trouble with certain horses. And I ran into that as well. There uh, was a horse that I was training and I was working on doing some, I do some yoga stretches with the horses, uh, which is a great preventative measure for keeping them, you know, healthy and, and happy um, after you ride or do any kind of work with them. And, and, and in that case, I do hand feed. That's the only time I hand feed. And this horse, they're just, it became obvious to me in like two or three sessions that there was no way I was ever going to be able to hand feed this horse. It just... That's he went into this mode, and that's all he thought about and all he obsessed about. And it was there was no way to make a clear boundary for him as well, to when you know it was what, okay. Though, if you think about it, you give us some chocolate ice cream. That's all I'm thinking about for a while. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> exactly. No comment. <laughs> Because I have a whole bunch of them, but I won't, I won't, I'll just leave them in their little box with the lid on it. <laughs> yeah, cho- yeah, chocolate, exactly. <laughs> For us humans, it's, um, it can go, we can go into that mode too. That's all we think about, chocolate. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, and I know this is totally off of what we were going to talk about. We don't have a whole lot of time left, but that's fine. We can have you back. Um, is... Somebody asked me the other day what Reiki was, and you know, I tried to describe it. So, how do you describe it? It's an ancient form of Japanese energy healing, and what it is is to tie it into radio. So, every terrestrial radio station has a dial, right? And you have to dial into that frequency to get that station. Well, Reiki is a particular frequency in the energy of the world. So, everything is emitting energy. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, and you can tap into the universal energy that is Reiki. And there's symbols that go along with that, and when you 
you know, become certified, you get those symbols, and those are your dials into that particular frequency. And basically what it is is it's bringing that fresh, new, healing, white light, brilliant energy in and releasing what no longer serves you. And you're just a channel for that. So you're tapping into the universe, you're the channel, and you're sending that either to yourself, another human being, an animal, whatever it is that you might be working on. I mean, some people have used it to energetically fix something in the refrigerator. <laughs> so it, Now, if it's like, okay, if it's I have, broken... Yeah, I was going to say, I have a motor in the refrigerator that's going, so if you could do that for me, and I don't have to tear <laughs> the refrigerator apart, that'd be great. Just... Well, if it's mechanically broken... Obviously, it's mechanically broken, okay, but if okay. it's, you know, if it's electrical or something like that, then, yeah, you can feed it a little bit of Reiki energy and keep it going. It only has to do—this is, this is my question—it only has to do with positive energy. It doesn't necessarily take the negative energy out of the horse. It puts positive energy in, and then— Well, you— You know what I'm you asking? You can take—yeah, you can take the negative energy out because that is what no longer serves the horse. Okay. And replace it with the positive energy. Okay. You, that's what you should do. How do you do that? <laughs> that's, that's where I always totally fail. I know what I should do, but I, I fail on execution every time. Well, that's when we go to doing... chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, energy healing in general, you don't have to be certified in particular modality. So, you know, there's like photonic light therapy, acupressure, acupuncture. There's all different forms. Um, Tellington touch of energy healing, Reiki is one of them. So you don't have to, you know, get certified in all those practices. You can just do energy healing in general, which is very basic of coming from love. And you're wanting to help the animal, you know, feel better or whatever might be going on with their individual case. And so you just, you just call in the white energy healing light and you just ask and you come from a space of love and hope and joy and health and then you just ask that what no longer serves that animal be released and you can just visualize the energy coming into the horse and and visualize them all of the cells of their body just with this brilliant white light and then what's no longer serving them is going out um, back to and being recycled by mother earth does that does that help? That's oh, basically yeah. how it works. Okay. Yep. And you can animals like to be hands on, so they like you to touch them when you're doing the work. Um, whereas humans, it's better to be a little hands off. You know, just maybe like an inch or two above the body. Um, but animals prefer to have the hands on, and then you just go in a in a spot where the animal is comfortable with. So obviously, you're not going to be doing it on the you know even if your horse likes to be touched on the face. You wouldn't do it on the face. You'd probably do it like around the shoulder withers area. And sometimes the horse will move and position you where they want you to focus the energy. I love when that happens. It's so distinct. It's so articulate. You know, when they, when you like, not that I know what I'm doing, but when you are connecting with your animal in some way, there's a difference. you, You just know, you sense when they're shifting away from whatever it is you're doing and when they're shifting so that they could put you at a better vantage point. It's very clear and, and very rewarding. And then you both just sort of relax into it. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I love it too. Yeah. And you can, you can visualize the white healing light coming out of your palms and going into the horse and you can use the stance. You can have one 
one palm in one area um, and then another palm in the other area, and then in between is the area that you're focusing on that the that the healing light is going to. Does, does that make sense? Uh, yeah. yeah very okay. Well, uh, we're running out of time here. You can be found at kbnaturalhorsemanship.com. And, of course, on your radio show, and if they go to your website, you're going to see on the left side there a little link uh, that says Kim Baker Radio Show, and they can go listen to Pat. Can they listen to past episodes there? Absolutely, yes. They can listen to past episodes from when I first started the show, which was three years ago. Wow. Okay, good. Well, thank you, Kim. This has been fun. Well, thanks, Len and Helena. I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's been great. And now it's time for Tack and Heaven. This week's Tack and Habit segment features Lou Denizard, who's the inventor of a product called Horse Hugger. And I came upon Lou and his product um, because my equine chiropractor had recommended it for some issues that my own horse was having with his back. The Horse Hugger was developed about 15 years ago by Lou, who is an FEI-level dressage rider. And um, it's so 15 years he's been, you know, making these things and it's been helping horses of all kinds, all different breeds, body types and temperaments. You can use it to start young horses or retraining older horses. Um, but the point is to help the horse to encourage use of the proper muscles, i.e. his or her core muscles, um, by gently encouraging the hind end to create the energy needed to move forward. Now, Lou is just, he's, he's no hack. He knows what he's doing. He's been working with horses all of his life. He is a native to New England, and um, he graduated from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, my alma mater, with a degree in equine science. He went on to, he even rode with the Boston Park Rangers Mounted Unit. How cool is that? Huh. We've had them he, on, too. I know, I know. Um, he spent quite a while in Germany working with, uh, working and riding and training with some folks whose names I could never even begin to pronounce. Let's just say they're based in Bavaria, which is cool because Bavarian cream and Bavarian cars and Bavarian horses. Anyway, when Lou finally returned to New England, he was the director of riding at Johnson & Wales University here in Rhode Island, uh, right up the road from me. And um, like most New Englanders, he probably decided he had it with the weather and decided to go south and uh, settled in, I think it's, Palm, somewhere, Palm City, Florida, where he now successfully competes um, at the highest level levels of dressage and runs um, the Delant Equestrian Center. So uh, we're going to hear from Lou all about the horse hugger. Welcome, Lou, to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. We are really happy to have you on to talk about this amazing product that you developed called Horse Hugger. Yes, thank you for having me. I love talking about the horse hugger. Uh, okay. I first heard about it uh, through my equine chiropractor who was working on my horse's back for some issues that had to do with soreness because my horse really doesn't know how to go around um, and use his top line properly. And I was afraid, I'm, I'm hesitant to put anything in his mouth to force his head down. So when my chiropractor said, go look up Horse Hugger, and I found your website, I thought this was just too good to be true. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's a, it's a product I developed uh, well, quite a ways back now, to, I'd say a good 15, 20 years ago I developed it. And it's, um, 
it's a canvas and leather strap that creates a figure eight around the horse's body. Um, and it crisscrosses over the withers, and it helps to help the horse engage or use the hind legs properly so that their roundness comes from behind, as we read and hear in all of these uh, theory books. Which is really like, yeah, the holy grail of movement is to have that right movement from behind. And we see so many people, unfortunately, trying to, quote unquote, bring their horse's head down in order to encourage the use of their, well, it's really not their top line, is it? It's it's using their core muscles, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The horse uses their core muscles very similar to what we do when we do sit-ups. You know, they engage their belly muscles upward. And so is that why you decided to go with this, to, to create a product that really just focused on the hind end? Are you of the same philosophy that working with the horse's front end is really just, it's not the most effective way to right. teach it's them how to use their back, body? It's not a front-to-back theory. And um, I really came across it by accident. I was uh, long-lining horses, and I really liked what the long-lining line on the outside of the horse uh, did uh, when the horse was on a circle curve. And then suddenly had this thought of, wow, what if you could have that while you were riding? And then the horse hunter just opened up all kinds of other avenues that I had no idea that I was uh, bringing forth once I started using it. And what did you find when you first put a horse hugger on on a horse? um, What kind of horse is this suitable for? And what, what, what's the first thing that you see happen with the first couple of rides or the first couple of attempts? Yeah, a lot of people think that it's uh, a product that's just made for a certain type of horse, and I've actually seen it work on hot horses, and it usually calms them down. I've seen it work on really lazy horses where it really kind of motivates them and gets them quite energetic um, in a good way, not in a, in a nervous way. Um, and usually the first time it's put on them, if, if, if horses have worn winter blankets, um, they're pretty used to the sensation. Um, but uh, if they haven't worn something like that, the first step or two makes them a little like, whoa, what was that? Because it has a self-correcting mechanism. If they take too strong a step behind, they check themselves in the chest uh, with the way the figure eight goes around. If they take, um, you know, kind of a, a shy step, then they check themselves again on the opposite end and have to take a, a, a bigger step. So it, it, it really works on any type of horse, and I've not seen horses have a bigger dramatic reaction than maybe a five-foot to, to six-foot scooch forward, like, whoa, what was that? Yeah, um, yeah. And then they get over That's good, because we, we have enough drama. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Dramatic is not something we want to deal with unless you're, of course, unless you're riding at the levels that you ride in, in the dressage arena. Um, so... How long usually does it take for a horse to figure out how to use the proper muscles with the horse hugger? Well, before you get to that, I have a pre-question to that. How long does it take to, for the horse to uh, get used to having that thing wrapped around his back legs? Um, it's not actually around the back legs. It's, you know, it's behind the, 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 the rump a bit more. Yeah, it's yeah, the, it's above a... the gaskin, below the, yep. the hamstrings. Um, you know, they, I, I would say it takes all of, and I'm going to make this sound long, five minutes. Okay. Um, they kind of go, okay, got it. And then they're <laughs> fine. Um, so it's not really a real adjustment it's the same, period. It's the and same then, as getting used to the breaching and driving, I guess. Uh, similar yes. to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got it. That's exactly correct. 
Um, and then what does it take for them to get used to the product, um, to, to use the proper muscles? It really depends on their motivation factor. So if you're doing it in a lunging sense, the horses get it quite easily, and they know that when they're in it, they are to use themselves. Now, are they smart enough to know when they're not in it to, you know, become a little lazier about it or to not use themselves quite as well? Yes. Um, when a rider is involved it is up to the rider to feel the change in the horse's body and then kind of memorize that and, and know that that's their responsibility to recreate the sensation. Can you ride with this on? Absolutely, yeah. I have uh, lunged horses with it. Um, I have ridden with it. I have jumped in it. Um, it. It pretty much can be used in all three phases. Wow. I just... I. I need to try this. <laughs> and, you know, I, I guess Actually, the concept... The riding is an incredible sensation. I mean, it doesn't bother you in the least. You don't feel it, um, like, in, in an effect of, of your body. You feel yeah. it on the horse, but you don't uh, feel anything else that, that is uncomfortable. Um, so it's actually quite quite interesting to ride. You know, it's like, it's kind of like getting on your horse right after your trainer's been on your horse. You get the there sensation of what good. it's supposed to feel like. That great analogy. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so, so you, so I'm imagining we, we start out with, um, we've got the horse hugger, we've got a horse who needs the horse hugger help and you yep. start out maybe lunging or whatever. And over a couple of, um, periods or I guess, or times that you would use it, they do start to learn how to use those proper muscles. And so right. you, you do still need to be consistent with it. So there has to be the, the teaching them how to use those muscles and then motivate, motivating them to continue to use those muscles. So that's, you're saying right. that's really a balance of both with the product. And then once you're in the tack, encouraging that same movement. Correct. And I've, I've, I've had people, you know, tell me they have all kinds of system once a week, they put it back on them, uh, you know, once a month, you know, whatever it is that they feel that the horse needs to be motivated or, or reminded of the muscle groups, uh, you know, the, the the product can be used as often as necessary. I will warn um, all people who use the product or try the product that if the horse is too disengaged with the hind leg and wears it on a day-to-day basis, you may want to put a girth cover on the strap behind them so that they don't get rubs, uh, fur rubs, a bit like winter blankets create when they have too much friction in the same spot over and over again. Okay. okay. Is there any negative to it? Um, not that I've found. Absolutely none. I mean, I have found that the product has uh, helped make lateral walks pure again. So if you have a, a walk that is, is in competition in particular, um, has uh, a, a lateral tendency, it will cure that. Um, it's still your responsibility as a rider to be able to feel that sensation and change it. You know what I call that? That's, that's walking like a German Shepherd because <laughs> they never yeah, walk no, in yeah, a straight exactly. line. <laughs> my, that's my horse. Do, 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 do. We're going to take the scenic route to, from A to X. <laughs> yeah, and it does the same thing for the canter. So if they have a lateral canter, a four-beat canter, as they call it, that too, it will help uh, create a three-beat canter and uh, get the rider to get the sensation of what that really means because sometimes that's a bit hard for riders to understand the difference between four beats and three. I got a couple technical questions. Is it fully adjustable so you can do different size horses? Or yeah, yeah, it's based on blanket size. Okay. Um, and so it it will adjust from like a sixty eight size blanket, which is quite small, to about an eighty two. Um, okay. It has like um, it has uh, buckles in the front and buckles in the back, so you can make it shorter or longer front and backside as have, you adjust. 
your horse's length. I'm a driver. Have you had any drivers? Because drivers, are, you know, trying to accomplish the same thing, basically. So uh, especially if you're doing dressage and CDEs, it, it, have yeah. you had drivers try it? I, you know, I have talked to a couple of drivers while, um, you know, that, that were interested in trying it, but I'm always looking for someone from different disciplines. I mean, I've had some crossover of disciplines, um, but right now it's pretty much based in the dressage world, and I've had some of the top names in the dressage world use it. So if you would like to use it or, you know, someone that would, I would love to talk to them about using the product so that way we can get them to understand its function. Okay. Cool. Very cool. And where can people find out more information about the product and better yet, where can they buy it? Yes, you can buy it on horsehugger.net. And um, right now I'm exclusively selling it um, in the talks with some companies to possibly uh, distribute it to tax companies throughout the United States. But right now it's just on the horsehugger.net website. Excellent. Excellent. Well, sign me up. I can't wait to try it on Brody. (laughs) I can't wait. If you have any questions, you call me. I will uh, help you out. Um, A little bit the adjusting is sometimes a little scary to some people, but that's explained on the website. And I think that if anybody has questions, I think my phone number is also there and they're welcome to call me. Well, if you're, I'm, I'm back in your, your uh, home state of Rhode Island. So if you get back up to this area, be sure to let us know because I'm going to hunt you down. <laughs> All right. That's the Horse Hugger. You can find more information at horsehugger.net. Lou, thank you very much for joining us today. We're going to keep an eye out for uh, where we can find Horse Hugger in tax shops around the country, hopefully soon. Great. Thank you. I thank hope you, you're Lou. correct. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. We're going to have a best-of episode for you next week as uh, we're going to be uh, heading, Jennifer and I are going to be heading to Rolex, and uh, uh, Helena's going to get a much-needed week off. So we'll be back here uh, with a new show in two weeks. Helena, you enjoy your week off and uh, enjoy the uh, beautiful weather you're now getting in Rhode Island. Yeah, at 32 degrees. We had snow the other night, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to pretend it didn't happen. Did you walk down to see the beach and look at the freezing cold ocean lately? Have you? No, I was thinking about doing that, but it's just too cold. I don't want to go down there. It's wicked, man. It's wicked at the beach (laughs) when it's 45 degrees. It's only 45 degrees. I I know. I know. I I do feel bad for you. I really do. It's April 17th. I know. They had snow in Lexington two days ago. It's like Rolex is next week. (laughs) I think even Earth is getting tired of the weather. (laughs) (laughs) You can listen to all the past episodes uh, of the Stable Scoop radio show at StableScoop.com and download our app at the uh, App Store on iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. It's free. It's easy to use. Probably the best way to listen to the shows. You can find Helena at... Helena at horseradionetwork.com. I love email. So send, send, send your messages. And your website is? My website, it, well, you can find, I'm all over the place. The best place to find me these days, though, is at sparkleandboom.com. It's my own small business that focuses on helping other small businesses with their marketing. If you have an old, outdated website or you need help with your marketing, Go see Helena because she's really good at it. Yeah, I got oh, 20 some odd years of corporate experience behind me there. So yeah, it's yeah. much better to help small she's businesses. She's just not a pretty voice on the radio. She <laughs> actually knows what she's talking about. <laughs> well, thank you, Glenn. <laughs> That's it for this week. There will be more next week. And until then, happy scooping.